When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, welcome back. So today I want to take some time to talk about a uh, well, a post that my wife actually recently made on Facebook. It's something she had shared, and, and I promise this relates to today's video. In fact, it's kind of central to today's uh, video about banks and some of the double standards that they have. Now, the title of this was, quote, isn't it kind of disgusting that banks made $34 billion in overdraft fees in 2017? That's $34 billion they took from people that literally had no money. And, and I actually initially replied, disgusting. No, I get it. Overdraft fees, I get it. Uh, now, I guess what I would like from banks is a little bit more grace in that. You know, a couple bucks overdraft uh, probably don't doesn't warrant a major fee, especially if you know that, that overdraft is, is remedied. Uh, you know, within a day or two, right? But, but I mean, that's the way banks are. That's the agreement that many of us sign on to when we when we uh, open up a bank account, open up a checking account. However, the double standard with banks that I want to talk about today is just how ridiculous that is. Now, I understand at face value, people that may not understand exactly how banks work might look at that and think, well, that's that's justified. You're spending money you don't have, who are you to say, you know, you're, you're overdrawing your bank account. Who are you to say that, that we shouldn't be paying these fees? I mean, um, as somebody replied in this post, uh, maybe you know, some people are, are trying to uh, um, get something for nothing, expect something for nothing. And I get that. Valid argument. However, banks in many ways get something for nothing as well, but to a much greater extent than, than depositors at their bank, than, than customers of theirs. Because what I think a lot of people don't understand here in the United States or around the world globally is that banks operate on a fractional reserve banking system. And it ultimately ends up like this. You know, this post specifically was talking about banking depositors spending money they don't have. But when you really boil it down and look at how banks operate, Banks are constantly lending money they don't have, and they are constant. I mean, in theory, they shouldn't have, and they're constantly only keeping a very small amount of our money actually in their bank, actually on their balance sheet. The fractional reserve banking, the way that it works, is that when money is deposited into a bank account, a savings account, a checking account, whatever, that money is not then just kept in that bank account and, and accumulates interest nor is it completely directly lent out, meaning that if I deposit $1,000, the bank is going to then lend out that $1,000 and then keep that, that loan as basically an asset to, to, to cover my own account. That would be fractional reserve banking, but it gets much worse than that. You know, When I deposit $1,000 in the bank, they don't lend out $1,000. In theory, they can lend out many thousands of dollars, many multiples of that amount to other people. Meaning that not only are they lending the money that they're supposed to be holding in my account, at least in theory, they're lending out many multiples of that amount of money. 
which creates a huge amount of counterparty risk for depositors. You know, the idea behind this is that on any given day, a lot of banks only have a small percentage of their depositors' money on hand. And I'm not talking about cash. I'm not talking about cash and coin. Like that's obviously the case, and, and that's excusable to some extent. You know, if you have a bank always holding every single dollar on hand. I mean, it's not like most of the time people even deposit cash in a bank anymore, right? A lot of the deposits are, are direct deposit. They're, they're electronic. They're digital. But even in the digital sense, these banks don't have that money on hand, a very small percentage. And, and how do they get away with this? Well, in theory, if a bank run were to ever occur, if all of a sudden a whole bunch of depositors went in and said, look, I, we're demanding our money, and, and, and it comes out that the bank only has a small percentage of that, not only in cash and coin, but also in the digital sense. Well, for depositors, they can easily be bailed out, at least on a small scale, by the FDIC. Of course, most major bank accounts, most major banks today are insured by the FDIC by an amount up to, I want to say, like a quarter million dollars. Right, No problem for the depositor there. And for that reason, depositors generally don't care about these bank runs, despite the fact that the FDIC is probably going to be very inadequate were a, a major bank run among uh, most of the major banks in the United States ever to occur. You know, It works for small banks for a small-scale bank run, but not so much uh, on the larger scale. It would, it would require a huge amount of funding from, from the federal government to make up that difference. The other problem, though, the other way that banks get away with this is that there's a lot of risk in, in doing what they do. So I'll put it this way. I deposit $1,000. They lend out $5,000. Or, or we'll talk about it in more realistic terms. Let's say a bank has a billion dollars in deposits, and they lend out $5 billion. Okay, The way that they make money is not on, on overdraft fees or fees to set up the account. That's, that's maybe a small amount of their income, but most of their income is on the interest rate differential there. They're giving depositors in today's day and age a very low interest rate on their deposit, right? Usually a fraction of 1%. I don't know what it is with some of the recent rate hikes over the last couple of years and then the rate, hike, or the, the rate cuts in 2019, but it's a very small amount and it's considerably smaller than... See, see I don't even bother to look. Because I'm a grad student and I don't keep enough money in the bank account anyways to, for it to matter, but also because it's so small to, to not even matter. But there's an interest rate differential there. They give depositors a certain amount of percentage of, of you know, interest rate on, on their deposit. However, they lend out money at a much higher rate. You know, 3, 4, 5, 6, 8, 10%, depending if we're talking about a subprime auto loan, uh, a mortgage, a personal loan, whatever, a, a business loan. They lend that money out. At a, at, a, at a multiple of, of what they actually have on deposit as well. So here we have this scenario where they're lending out $5 billion at, at say, on average, 5%. Okay, The deposits they have on hand are only $1 billion, and they're giving their depositors, let's say, 0.5%. So there's a huge interest rate differential there. And I know I'm oversimplifying. It's a little more complicated than that. But that's basically how banks make money. But the other way they get away with this is that there's a huge amount of risk in that. You know, if they were to only lend out $1 billion for every $1 billion in deposits, that'd be more or less fractional reserve, but it would be less risky than what banks are able to do by, by 
lending out a multiple of that because the way that that works is that they now have lent out five billion dollars and if that five billion dollars gets paid back at the you know agreed upon interest rates then then great they make a lot of money but what happens if instead a large amount of that of those loans are defaulted upon right let's say this gets so bad that 25 percent of that is written off uh, let's say we have an economic decline, uh, foreclosures occur, banks have to repossess houses, but they don't really get paid back a lot on those those mortgages. Uh, auto loans, you know, cars have to be repossessed. Business loans um, are, are uh, defaulted upon. Uh, bankruptcies occurs, personal loans, credit cards. Those are all charged off. And all of a sudden, the bank has lent out $5 billion, but the loans on their balance sheet, because of these charge-offs, because of these defaults, only amounts to you know what's what's twenty five percent of five billion dollars like three point seven five billion three point five I, I I'm not I'm doing this off the top of my head all of a sudden the amount of loans that they have on hand is much lower than it was beforehand and they've now lost over a billion dollars in the process because of these charge offs now they can try and make that up with interest rates on the rest of it but long story short the amount that they've lost has now exceeded the amount that they actually have on deposits, right? You can understand the problem here, but how do they get away with this? Well, look, these problems have occurred in the past where it's more complicated than the scenario I lay out here, but but essentially borrowers don't pay back as much as they should. A good example would be the Great Recession, the financial crisis, the subprime mortgage crisis. People were lent money that they probably shouldn't have been lent, lent money, for, for houses that, that far exceeded their their means, their, their income, at a relatively high interest rate. And surprise, surprise, these people defaulted at a very high rate on those mortgages. And, and some of this was the fact that these mortgages were bought and sold and repackaged in various financial assets. But long story short, banks lost big time because of this. And, and a lot of them went out of business in 2008 and 2009. If you guys remember banks by the name of, of Goldman Sachs, uh, Citi, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, those were all banks that used to exist in the past and, and completely went out of business, completely went bankrupt in 2009. And, and because of that banking collapse, you know, the entire global economy completely collapsed. Yeah, no, no, of course, I'm being facetious. No, Wells Fargo, Citi, Bank of America, uh, um, uh, Chase, uh, J.P. Morgan, uh, 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 most of the major banks survived, actually. And it wasn't because they, they pulled a rabbit out of their hat. It wasn't because they were well capitalized or anything like that. Most of those banks would have collapsed had the U.S. government and the Federal Reserve not stepped in in the form of bailouts, uh, interest rate cuts, uh, providing liquidity to the markets, etc. You know, some of them did. I mean, uh, uh, Bear Stearns ultimately was was bought out. Uh, Lehman Brothers completely collapsed, right? Uh, Merrill Lynch combined with Bank of America. But as a whole, it could have been so much worse. But banks got away with it. it there, there's a term for it. There's a phrase for it. Uh, it's called privatization of profits. So when times are good and uh, people aren't defaulting on their loans, banks take that profit, that interest rate differential. They take it as profit. But... The other side of that statement, that phrase, is socialization of losses. When things are going well, you privatize that, that profit, 
huge bonuses for, for executives, etc. Millions, billions of dollars given out. But when things go bad, you scream, we're too big to fail. If we fail, if we collapse, the whole economy is going to fall apart. And they're bailed out, socialized, socialization of losses. That's, I mean, who foot the bell for that? It was the U.S. government. But ultimately, it was taxpayers in the form of taxes for that bailout and in the form of inflation due to that huge amount of debt creation and the ensuing monetization of debt by the Federal Reserve as well as the cut in interest rates, right? It was taxpayers that paid for that. And that's wherein this double standard lies. If I go to my bank and I overdraft by even as much as a a dollar, a penny, my bank, I know for a fact, because it's happened even recently for me, because again, I'm a, I'm a grad student, guys. Um, I am charged a $28 overdraft fee. And I get it. That's part of the agreement. I'm spending money in theory that I do not have in the bank account. Even though I would appreciate more grace on their behalf, a couple of days to, to add that money, uh, or even you know a realization that a penny or two is not that big of a deal compared to if I overdrafted like 500 bucks. I get it, okay? However... The double standard lies in the fact that banks lend money they don't have. They only have a small percentage at any given time, any point in time, a small percentage of of depositors' actual deposits on hand. And they expose themselves to a huge amount of risk so that if they ever run out of money, they're going to run out of money in a big way. Not a couple hundred dollars, not a couple million dollars, but hundreds of billions of dollars. Because of the risk that they take on, hand, uh, take on. And in their case, they don't go under. They aren't charged an overdraft fee, a slap on the wrist. No. They're, they're given billions and billions of dollars by, by the government. They're, they're given welfare, essentially, through the Federal Reserve. They're bailed out. Uh, crisis is averted. But it's in a huge double standard. It's welfare for corporations. It's welfare for banks in the name of public safety or public well-being or for the well-being of the economy. But what it creates is a term uh, we call moral hazard. What it creates is that despite all the regulations, there's this huge incentive for banks to lend more than they should, for banks to use their their assets and leverage it as much as possible, whether it's through margin trading or through lending, even to risky lenders at a higher and higher interest rate, as much as possible to create as much profit as possible. Because the downside risk is that they lose a lot of money on that, but that risk is eliminated by the fact that they know that ultimately they are backed by the full faith of the U.S. government, the U.S. dollar, and the Federal Reserve. It's moral hazard when, when regulations or when, when action by, by the government and by the Federal Reserve creates this environment where banks feel as though they can take on as much risk as possible because it's no longer risk for them. Because any major realization of that risk, any major realization of those losses are ultimately going to be made up by bailouts, socializations of losses. So this is something to keep in mind the next time you see an overdraft in your bank account or, or you hear somebody complaining about it or whatever. I get it. Um, we, we can all be better with our money, right? Everybody's struggled with money, I'm sure, from time to time, right? However, let's not look at banks as, as some benevolent uh, uh, holder of our money. In reality, they are guilty many times over of, of exactly what we're doing in terms of, of 
overdraft and buy a couple bucks from a bank account. As always, I'd like to thank every one of you from the bottom of my heart for tuning into today's podcast and God bless.